0: To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And then um, from Colossians. And uh, chapter 4. And I'm just going to read it beforehand, just in case. But I think this one we're all right with. I know this one. (laughs) Thank you. Paul writes, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We thank God for all of his word, and especially for those two passages. Bless you, Roger.
1: in your Bibles, Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6. If you've got it on your phone, um, do follow it, because that's the passage I want us to look at. And I would like to just say a big thank you to Philip for his kind invitation to come and be with you again. And we're, we're really looking forward to this coming week. And uh, Warren still looks a bit like that, but he doesn't look... I mean, he is 20 years older, uh, but he's still built like a, a gladiator, And uh, I think we need to really pray for him, particularly in the schools. Um, We've worked all over the north of England together, and he's very effective with young people. Uh, And his story, um, and just the person God has made him, he's really good at communicating with young people about Jesus Christ. And he's not religious. He doesn't speak in a religious way. He, He was a roofer, a roof tiler, before he became a gladiator and a celebrity. So he has a very kind of basic Essex, if you like, approach to life and uh, cuts right through. He's he's very effective. And then I think some of you heard Paul, the uh, musician who had an amazing conversion from um, a life of alcoholism and uh, he's very effective as well as an evangelist. So I think we're going to have a great time. So do pray for us and uh, we'll look forward to these uh, supper parties, these home meetings as well. And then Tom, our son, my son, is, um, he teaches philosophy at Oxford, but he's quite, n- quite normal. He was a Royal Marine. <laughs> uh, f- he fought in Afghanistan and in, uh, um, in Iraq. Uh, uh, he's a, a very good communicator, and he'll be speaking on artificial intelligence, on robots... That's the sort of thing that you might be able to bring a lot of friends to. It's sort of further upstream in terms, of, so it won't be a, a, a gospel appeal or anything like that. But it will be looking at what's going on in society, and uh, and then he will obviously bring Christ into that. So, lots of really exciting meetings, and uh, I want to just say to you, don't let the. Op- this is a great opportunity. That you that you've got this week, and uh, um, so don't let the opportunity slip. Use it and invite as many people as you can. Um, You'll you'll find you can't bring anybody; only God can bring anyone to a meeting. So don't get discouraged if you invite people and they don't come. Um, Lots of people you invite won't come, but some will, and. and, and there are all sorts of people that God is working in, often which we just don't know about. Our job is to get out there and bring them in and invite them and um, offer to come with them. Because it's often it's a bit scary coming to something if you, don't, if you don't know the people. We forget how we felt when we first went to church. It was probably a bit scary for some of us as well. So let's pray and then we'll look at this passage, this wonderful passage in... Colossians chapter 4. Lord, we thank you so much for this church, and I'd like to thank you for the great inspiration it is to many of us in the Cotswolds, the way you've put your hand upon this church and blessed it. Thank you for the vision to have a a 50th Alpha course uh, this year, and we do pray that we will have 50 guests And that you'll use this um, period of mission to bring in many new people, Lord. And uh, we we long to see people coming to know you and to experience you for themselves. And so we pray that you'll be preparing us, uh, giving us courage and boldness, and yet also sensitivity and and humility and gentleness as we uh, seek to invite people and bring them in. And uh, we pray for Warren and for Paul and for myself and for Tom and for all the others who will be involved. Lord, that you will fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we'll speak your words uh, boldly, uh, with authority, but also with great humility. And uh, we commit this time to you now as we look at your word and study your scriptures. Lord, we pray that you'll come and teach us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, I was going to start with a joke, but I discovered that the one I, t- the one I brought, I've only got about six jokes. The one I brought, I told last time, so I can't. <laughs> Did I tell you the one about my father being a pilot? Did I tell you that one? We forgotten it anyway. Ah, okay. All right. So, anyway, my dad was a pilot. People often think if you're a vicar, you come from a long line of vicars. And my father was a pilot, he was a test pilot. Uh, and then the, an airline pilot. And um, I heard this story about a, a This isn't a true story, I don't think. Uh, a, 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 about a pilot who was flying this little aeroplane. It was a single-engined aeroplane. And he had, um, he had uh, three people on, on his flight. He had uh, a bishop. He had the brain of Britain. And he also had a student with him. And the aeroplane uh, ran into some problem. Basically, the engine stopped. And uh, he, he only had three parachutes on board. So the first person to speak was the pilot. And he said, look, he said, I am the pilot, and I'm married, and I've got two children. I think you ought to let me have the first parachute. So they discussed it, and they agreed. So he took a parachute, and he jumped. The second person to speak was the brain of Britain. And he said, well, look, he said, I am the brain of Britain, and I think we really owe it Uh, to the future of Britain as a country that you should let me have the second parachute. And they discussed it and they agreed that as he was the brain of Britain. So he took the next parachute and he jumped. And then the next person to speak was the bishop. And he said to this student, he said, look, he said, I've lived a long time. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to meet God as my maker and creator. Why don't you have, you're young, you're just getting going. Why don't you have the... Last parachute, new jump. So the uh, student turned to the bishop and he said, But, Bishop, there are two parachutes here. And the bishop said, Why is that? And he said, The brain of Britain took my rucksack. (laughs) (laughs) That's nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about. But uh, now, if you've got your Bible, can you turn to Colossians 4? And I want to just um, introduce it by quoting some research that I came across which probably many of you here have also come across, which was carried out by the Barna Group on behalf of the Church of England and the Evangelical Alliance. This was uh, about two or three years ago, and it was called Talking Jesus. Now, they interviewed 3,000 non-Christians. This was in, in Britain. And the good news was that 67% of the people in England, based on the statistical research, who called themselves non-Christians, they know a Christian, and this was the amazing thing, they like them. So 67% of our population who are not yet Christians know a Christian, and they like them. 66% of practicing Christians have talked about Jesus with a non-Christian in the past month. Now, I won't ask you if you're a Christian. I guess most of you are Christians here this morning to put your hand up if you've talked about Jesus to somebody in the past month. I guess many of you here have. Now, this was the really interesting statistic which caught my eye. One in five non-Christians who speak to a Christian are open to an experience or an encounter with Jesus Christ. So that's one in five of the people that I know. I live in a little village quite near here called Little Compton, so there are probably 300 people in the village. We're getting to know a lot of them. One in five of the people that I know who are not yet practicing Christians are open to an experience or an encounter with Jesus Christ. And the other piece of good news that I discovered in the statistics was that 43% of English adults believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, but they don't understand the importance or the implications of it. So a lot of people that you know actually do believe in Jesus' resurrection. Now, the bad news, or the challenging news, was this. I've only picked out a few of the, the, the things that caught my eye. 59% of non-Christians who speak to a Christian did not want to know more about Jesus Christ. And 40%, I, I, I was staggered by this, 40% of the English population are not convinced that Jesus was a real person. And 40%, 42% of non-Christians who know a Christian have never had a conversation about Jesus Christ. So there are a lot of people out there who've never talked to someone about Jesus Christ. Now that's really challenging, isn't it? So, from this, I... I I gather that there are people who are interested, not lots and lots, but there are are some out there who are interested and searching amongst the people that we know, that we're in touch with. And uh, what we've got to learn to do is to talk to them. Now, how are we going to do that? Now, in the the, uh, 19th century, there was a chap, he was a Yorkshireman called Hudson Taylor, Some of you will have heard of him. He he was born in Barnsley in Yorkshire, and he went to China, and he began what was known as the China Inland Mission. God greatly used him to reach the Chinese with the gospel. And he said this, and this is what I want to base my talk on this morning with you. He said, we had to learn to speak to God about people before we learnt to speak to people about God. I'll just say that again. We had to learn to speak to God about people before we learnt to speak to people about God. And I want to use that as a way into this text. So if you've got the text open in front of you, it's Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6. It's a great Passage, and I want to, to talk, talk first of all about speaking to God about people. And if you've got it open, I'm going to read verses two, three, and four. And Paul says this: Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, I want you to notice from this text what Paul is saying to us. First of all, he says, uh, he's talking to the Colossian Christians, devote yourselves to prayer. Or you could translate that as continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, the interesting thing is that in the original It's the same word that Luke uses when he's talking about the early church. Do you remember on the day of Pentecost, after they'd received the Holy Spirit, uh, he writes this. He said they devoted, it's the same word, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. So if we want to see people uh, in our villages, in our streets, in our towns in our families coming to Christ, we need to be people who are, who are devoted to prayer. Now, can I just say right at the start, this is not easy. Uh, I remember. I don't know how many of you, do you remember David Watson? Some of you, the older ones will remember. I, I worked for a long time at St. Michael the Belfry, so it was a great privilege for me to be there. And I remember David Watson saying, in one of the talks he said that one of the hardest things we're called to do as Christians is to pray and i think uh, if we were honest with each other most of us probably actually if not all of us here this morning struggle to pray uh, i and can i say i struggle to pray uh, it's not it's not easy i don't find it easy i don't always find it natural I'm trying to develop that, but it's, it's often very difficult. So I want you to notice what Paul says, because I think he, he, actually, he knows that. He adds, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. In other words, staying awake, staying alert. The Jews apparently would pray like this. You try going to sleep like this, very difficult. So being watchful, and then he also adds, and being thankful, being watchful and thankful. And it's interesting, if you go through Paul's letter to the Colossians, just look back to the previous chapter, chapter 3, verses 15, 16, three times Paul uses the word, be thankful. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. And then he says it again, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude, with thankfulness in your hearts. So he says it twice, then he says it again in verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks So three times in those verses, Paul says, give thanks. Be full of gratitude. Uh, And I want to encourage you in this matter of prayer to keep on praying and don't give up. Um, Sometimes it's when we don't get an answer or we don't get the answer we want. It's very easy for us to give up. We get worn out and we get discouraged. That happens to all of us. So, uh, one of two things that I've found helpful in this. First of all, pray with your partner. Pray with your, if you're married, pray with your wife or your husband. Now, I'm not going to embarrass you by asking you how many of you do that. Now, I know that's difficult. You can't do that if you're Husband or wife do not believe in Jesus. That's not going to work. But it's taken my wife and I a long time. We've been married for over forty years to pray regularly together, and that's a terrible admission. Uh, we're very different characters. We're different personalities. We have different styles of spirituality. She's more. Um, she she loves contemplative prayer. So she could go to a. Monastery for seven days of complete silence, and she'd love that. I tried that, and I went nearly crazy, because I'm an I'm an extrovert. I get energy from people, so when I pray, I need to pray with people. So uh, over the last twenty years, I I have several prayer meetings a week that I go to. So so I pray several hours with people. I pray by myself. But I get energy from praying with others, whereas my wife enjoys praying by herself. So you have, to, you have to go with your personality. What's your personality type? Pray in accordance with your personality. But I do want to encourage you, pray with your family. Pray with them. Start small. Uh, my wife and I started with For the last, I suppose, the last few years, we've had a bit more space in our lives. We were out in Rio de Janeiro with our son, who's a vicar in in Botafogo in Rio. And each morning that we were all in the vicarage, we'd have a community prayer time. And we started with a simple liturgy, and then we prayed together. And and Ursula and I, we've just carried that on over the last few years. So we give ourselves to praying together together for our family, for our grandchildren, for the church, for the the leaders, the the needs of people. So find someone who you can pray with regularly. It will really help you. And uh, and I also want to encourage you to give thanks. uh, Whenever we meet together, one of the first things we always do in our groups is we give thanks to God. When I was at St. Michael of Belfry, we used to run a thing called dynamic prayer every Tuesday morning from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock, and then people went off to work. And we always started with thanksgiving, just pouring our hearts out to God in thankfulness for all that he is and all that he's done. So that's the first thing, devote yourselves to prayer. Now the second thing I want you to notice from the text is Paul tells them, or he asks them to pray for certain things. Have a look again. He says, verse 5, verse th- sorry, verse 3. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So he's in prison when he wrote this. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So I want you to notice what he asks the Colossian Christians to pray for. And the first thing that strikes me is that he asks them to pray that God would open a door for them. Now it's interesting, Paul uses this picture of God opening a door in several of his epistles. So for example, he talks about, he says that uh, God opened a door for the gospel, uh, a great door for effective work in Ephesus. But then he adds, but there are many who oppose me. And I found often that open doors goes with opposition. God will open a door, but there's always opposition to the gospel. And um, he also... Uh, he, he, so, so we need to be praying that God will open doors for us. And, and that God will open doors for the gospel. Now I've found, I've been working... As an evangelist now for many years, probably forty years, I should think, and I have found that this is a great mystery to me about how God opens doors and how some people get converted and others don't. Uh, I don't know how many of you. Well, I used to work with a chap called Roger Forster and Roger Mitchell. We we did a lot of university missions. I was a staff worker with the UCCF in those days. So we went around lots of universities in London and the south of England. And, and I remember Roger Forster using, a, he called it a, a, the, the duvet principle. You know if you sit on a duvet and then a, a bit more of the duvet pops up somewhere else, and he'd say, he often found he'd be praying for Tim and then Bill would get converted. Have you, have you ever had that experience? you praying away for somebody and somebody completely random finds the Lord. I've had that experience many, many times. And it's a great mystery, the mystery of election. We don't know who is going to get to come to Christ. Only God knows that. Our job is to get the message out to as many people as possible because we know that God loves everyone and he wants all to come to him. But we know that not everybody is going to come to him. So, we need to be praying for open doors. And I think I've told you that I've, um, I've discovered open doors in all sorts of extraordinary situations. And I think I told you when I was in Vancouver, I discovered an open door for some millionaires. I suddenly discovered a little group of millionaires who were very open to the gospel. I mean, what an amazing thing is that? And a number of them came to Christ. Found the same thing. I got back to York and I found another little group of millionaires. I met one big millionaire and then he knew the smaller millionaires. And uh, (laughs) so uh, he brought them in. And again, a number of them came to Christ. Again, completely, you know, I would have never written that script. I wouldn't have thought that that was possible. Or or I I think I told you about a a gangster. I suddenly discovered a gangster who was open to the gospel in in Edinburgh when I was running a church there. So I found wherever I go, there are always these unusual things. so in the village I'm in right now, I'm looking for the open doors. Where is God going to open? And there is actually a multimillionaire in the village. (laughs) I don't know how open he is, though. Although he did say to me, uh, I'll tell you his name. He's called Sir Alec Reed. Have you heard of Reed Employment? The Reed, well, he lives in the great big manor house in the village, and for some reason he's taken a shine on my wife and I. He likes. He likes. He's in his eighties now. He's an atheist. Calls himself an atheist. And the other night he invited Ursula and I round for dinner. And Ursula said to me on the way, she said you are not to talk about Jesus, Roger. So I said, no, I won't, it's fine, unless he brings up the subject. So there we are, having a chat with him and his wife around the dinner table, and he suddenly turns to me in the middle of the conversation, and he says, Roger, what's going to happen to me when I die? I said, that's a really good question, Alec. And then I went like this. You know in the rugby, the scrum half goes like that. So I said, darling, what would you say to that? (laughs) So she had to answer the question and then she answered it brilliantly. And then as that was being answered, his wife suddenly turned to me and she said, I don't understand what it is about Christianity which makes it different from the other religions. I said, Adrienne, that is a really brilliant question. Darling, what would you say on that? So she answered that one very well as well. So there's an, that was an open door. Do you see what I mean? That was an open door. God gave us an open door. And he also, Paul also prays here that they'll proclaim the gospel, or he calls it the mystery of Christ, pray that I may proclaim it clearly so that the gospel will be clear. And he also says, uh, Pray that, I'm, that I will be bold, uh, that I'll be proclaim the, the, the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So, I think we need to pray for clarity and for boldness. Now, can I just say at this point, uh, I learned, when I started working as an event. I, I started as a student, actually. I was at London University doing anthropology, And I didn't know how to talk to people about Jesus Christ. My my method was to take them. I was really converted through John Stott's ministry in the West End of London. So my method of evangelism was to drag my friends to hear John Stott, who was a fantastic, clear Bible teacher. And then one day I met an American guy. This was in the... Sixties uh, early seventies so if you 'd had a picture of me now this isn 't twenty years ago, this is forty years ago. I had very long hair and beads, and I had a big Afghan coat and a headband and you know really I was cool man <laughs> <laughs> But I learned from this American guy, this Californian he was called Charlie Powell, I learned how to share jesus, and we used to we used a little book in those days, it was called the four spiritual laws. Do any of you remember that? One or two. Well, it's been rewritten and it's called Knowing God Personally. It's a very simple little explanation and it just explains how a person can come to know God through Jesus Christ. It's very simple. It's got a few references in it. It's got one or two little diagrams. The diagram that The first time I ever led anybody to Christ, um, I went through the little booklet with him, and then I said to him, let me just explain how you can come to Christ. And there's a couple of circles in the middle of the the book uh, which represent two lives, and in each circle there's a, a throne or a control center. One of them, this one here, has got Christ outside the life, and on the throne is self. So that's one type of life. A self-centered, self-controlled life. Now you know lots of people like that. I know lots of people like that. The other circle is it's another life. And the difference is that Christ is on the throne. And the self For Christ to be on the throne, they have to get off the throne. Now, that's what the Bible calls repentance. You have to give over your life to Jesus Christ. And I said to this chap, I had Charlie with me, and I said, which circle are you in? He said, well, I'm definitely in that one over there, the self-centered, self-directed life. And I said, which one would you like to be in And he said, I'd like to be in that one. I'd like to have Christ in my life. So I looked at Charlie and Charlie said, well, go on, help him. So I was really scared. So I said, well, you can pray. You can pray. You can actually make this transition. You can ask Christ to come into your life, but to do that, you've got to get off the throne Would you like to do that with me now? And the chap said, yes. So I looked at Charlie again, and he said, well, go on. So I did. I prayed with him. That was the first person I had ever led to Christ. Never led anyone to Christ before that. And he opened his life to Christ, this chap. He's called Pete. I met him many years years later in Vancouver by accident. I was doing a mission in Vancouver, and he turned up with his son. He went and told his friend Mike, who then told his friend Roger, and all of them came to Christ. They were all architects at the Bartlett School of Architecture. And and I can say that since then, I've seen literally hundreds of people come to Christ. But I've discovered that you need something simple and clear if you're going to help them. Now, I just happen to have brought with me some of these little books. And if you'd be willing to use it, I'll give you one. Don't come and ask me for yourself. I want you Only come and ask me for one, and I'll give you one if you will share it with somebody who doesn't know Christ. Okay? That's the challenge. Or, or you could use, uh, this is another good booklet I use, called Why Jesus by Nicky Gumbel. I think that's one of the best um, explanations of the Christian faith. And the other book that I use, a little one by David Watson, we give away hundreds of these called Start a New Life. It's an explanation of how you can have a new life with Christ and it explains the, 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 the steps to faith in Christ. I've also got some copies of that which I'll also give you if you'll give it to somebody or sh- show it to somebody. So you need to have something simple and clear if you're going to help people. Because often what happens is it, we get rather muddled in what we say. So that's just a little bit about speaking to God about people. Now, secondly, and then I'm going to finish, uh, I want to s- talk a little bit about speaking to people about God. So let's look at the text again. And Paul says in verses 5 and 6 be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, what does Paul tell us here? Now, again, look at the text very carefully, because I think he's giving us some hints here. I think the key, the key verse is in verse 5, where he says, make the most of every opportunity. Now you have got some wonderful opportunities coming this week to tell your neighbors and friends and family about Christ. So how are we going to make the best use of the opportunities that God gives us? And can I say we are living in urgent times, I think the urgency of the times that we are living in, the urgency in our country, the urgency in our communities, it's really urgent that people hear the gospel. And I know we can, get, we can become rather complacent about this. We don't know how long we've got, and what is even more important is we don't know how long the people that we're with have got. I have had several experiences in my own life when people who I thought had a lot longer to live hadn't. And they died suddenly. That has happened a number of times with people that I have known. So we need to be asking God to help us. And if you've lost that sense of urgency, you need to ask God by his Holy Spirit to give it back to you. Maybe you had it once, maybe when you were a new Christian, you had a great sense of this urgency, and over the years, it's gradually dimmed. That often happens to people. Well, ask God to restore it to you, so that you see people as God sees them. He loves them, but he longs for them to come to know him. Now, three things stand out how we can buy up these opportunities. First of all, wise behavior. Verse 5, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Now, what is wise behavior? I think wise behavior is knowing what to say and what to do in a given situation. So, or to put it another way, how do we become all things to all people without compromising the holiness and the truthfulness of the gospel? Now, I want to say something that's helped me a lot on this. Uh, Dick Lucas, who's a great preacher when I was young in London, he used to preach in the city. He's written a commentary on Colossians, and he makes the distinction, which I find very helpful, between direct evangelism, that is the proclamation of the gospel, now we'll be doing that in different contexts this week, and what he calls responsive evangelism. Now, most of us are not called to be direct evangelists. Some of us are, but most of us aren't. So what Paul seems to be saying, in particularly with people that we live among, you can't keep preaching the gospel to people that you know, your family and your neighbor, because they'll just think you're bonkers. You know, they'll go, you don't want to talk to Roger. All he talks about is Jesus. He's so boring, you won't believe it. So you can't keep raising it with everybody because you'll just put them off. But with people that you live among, your neighbors and your friends, your family, you need to wait for them to raise the issue. That's why my wife said to me, don't talk about Jesus, Rod. Because I I am an evangelist. I love talking about Jesus, but We're living next to these people and, you know, I don't want them to think I am completely crazy. You know, I want them to get to know me, I want to get to know them. So we need to be, we need to accept and pray for the openings which will come up if we ask God for them. Rather than trying to create them ourselves. But, having said that, you are going to have many opportunities this week because of this week. So use them. Use the opportunities that this week gives. Secondly, he says, salty speech. May your make, let your conversation be always full of grace, which I take to be, you need to be interesting, seasoned with salt. Your conversation needs to have a bit of a bite to it. So how can we speak about Jesus Christ in a way that makes people's mouths water?" Or what gives our speech interest and bite? Now, can I give you a little clue on this? I have. Found, I, I, do you remember Bruce Springsteen in one of his songs? He talks about, I get up in the morning and I feel tired and bored with myself. Do you remember in that song, Dancing in, in the Dark? It's a great song. And I often feel that. Don't you, don't you often feel tired and bored with yourself? I often feel that about myself, and I have found that if I want to be interesting as a person, I need to be interested in people. The more interested you are in other people, the more interesting you will be as a person. And... Only God can give you that interest in other people because naturally our default is to be full of ourselves, focusing everything on ourselves, which actually kills conversation when we talk about ourselves. There are one or two people I know, I just, I see them at church and I, oh no, oh no, if I talk to that, they're just going to smother me with stuff about themselves, their latest ailment or their latest struggle, and they're just load it off and then go off and tell somebody else. You don't, you know, people like that you give a wide berth to don't, well, I do a bit. (laughs) Whereas people who are interested in me and want to talk to me, engage me as a person, they're interested in my opinion, they're interested, I love people like that. Don't you love people like that who listen to you and engage you? Now, only God can make us like that. So you need to ask the Holy Spirit To give you his love for people. Because if you have his love in your heart, you will focus on them. So if you want to be interesting and not tired and bored with yourself, be interested. So ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. And the other thing he says here is individual attention. So that you may know how you're to answer everyone. So each person is different. Each person is unique. The gospel is the same but we need to apply it to each person with sensitivity and wisdom. So I'm going to finish in just a minute. How to talk to God about people. Well, we need to keep praying. We need to keep at it steadfastly. Stay awake. Be watchful. Find people that you can pray with. Pray with your wife if she's a Christian. Pray with your husband if he's a Christian. Pray with your children. Pray with your grandchildren. Keep praying. Be watchful. Don't go to sleep. Stay awake. Stay alert. Be thankful. Pray for open doors, that God will open doors. Pray for clarity, for boldness, and then how to talk to people about God. Make the most of every opportunity that God gives. Be wise in the way that you behave towards outsiders. And may your speech be gracious and salty. Now, Um, So I've said said to you at the beginning, invite people. Invite as many as you can. Only God can bring them. So don't get discouraged. If you invite them and they don't come, you turn up anyway. Keep, come. You come. Because the non-Christians won't know whether you're a Christian or not. So the more we have at the meetings, the the better that... It's like when we used to do these open airs in the... We'd take a crowd down. We used to preach in Oxford Street every Wednesday night we'd have our, our own crowd it was like a renter crowd and, and they'd stand around and then we'd start to do the the painting you know and then the and then the people would stop because they saw the crowd they didn't know they were from the church the crowd and then we would all move behind and then push the people to the to the front <laughs> so a crowd draws a crowd so come come anyway even if your friend lets you down now i want to finish with a story last week i was <laughs> Well, it sounds. A bit, I was in Brazil last week, where for a, I went for a month with my wife, and uh, when I was in, um, in uh, London University, I did anthropology, and one of the, the things that I got very fascinated by was the tribes in Tierra del Fuego, which is a, an island right at the southern tip of South America. It's, the, it's what's called the uttermost part of the earth. The next place is the Antarctic. So I said to Mark and uh, Jess, his wife, let's go to Patagonia and to Tierra del Fuego. So we we did. We flew down there. We flew down to a place called Punta Arenas. Then we hired a car and we drove to Tierra del Fuego. Now, the uh, the Indians who used to live there were called the Yagan, the Ona, and the Alakaluf. And they were the most primitive peoples in the whole of the world. They lived in really freezing cold climates. They had no clothes. They just used to wear guanaco capes, and they would uh, live on seals and mussels and uh, fish. Uh, And they, they... I mean, it was just their material culture was very basic. They had spears, and the owner, who lived in the interior of Tierra del Fuego had bows and arrows, and they would hunt the guanaco. So I was fascinated by this. And I I kind of wanted, I was hoping I might come across some of their old settlement. They all died out. Now, when Charles Darwin went to Tierra del Fuego, he went on the uh, boat called the Beagle, and he went with a chap called Captain Fitzroy, and they saw these Indians. They were living uh, in little kind of wigwams, uh, along the coast and he called them in his in his journal he called them savages he said they and he heard them speaking and he said they don't speak a language they just make uh, sounds and he thought that they were the missing link what he thought of as the missing link between the apes and human beings and uh, he got back and he told this story. And some of the Christians in England were very moved by this. And they sent out some missionaries to go and take the gospel to the Indians. And they were, the missionaries were, were killed. There was a chap called Captain Alan Gardner who perished on a beach with, with some of his friends. And um, eventually, uh, uh, a vicar, a, a vicar called Despard, he was a vicar of Lenton. in... Uh, he was an evangelical Anglican clergyman, uh, and he, he had a family, and he adopted a, a, a little boy. A baby was found abandoned on a bridge in, Birmingham, in Bristol, and the little baby had a, a T-shirt with T on it. So he called this little boy Thomas Bridges. Now, Thomas Bridges went... With his father, his father started what was called the Patagonian Mission Society, and they went out to the Falkland Islands, and they uh, had a few of the Tierra del Fuego Indians, which they brought to the Falklands, and this little boy, who was then 13, learnt he was the only Englishman who learnt, he learnt the language. He learnt to speak in Yagan. And he grew up as a boy uh, between the ages of 13 and 18, uh, they lived in the falklands they didn 't They went occasionally to Tierra del Fuego and and when he went as a boy of eighteen he, he as they pulled into the shore where the Indians were, were gathered, they heard this boy speaking to them in yagan and he took that boy took the gospel of Jesus Christ to the to the yagan Indians he lived among them um, he learned their language. He actually wrote a dictionary, which is in the British Museum, where he translated Yagan into English. And eventually, he settled in Tierra del Fuego. He, he, he married a, a lady from uh, Devon. And, um, and then we met his family four generations later. They're still there in Tierra del Fuego. Now, I tell you that because that really touched my heart, that really t- this orphan boy that God used to bring the gospel to these primitive primitive people, because God loved them, he loved them, and he brought and he brought the gospel to them through that young that young man now God loves he loves the people of Chipping Camden, and he loves the people of the Cotswolds. He really loves them. And he wants to use... And if he can use a little orphan boy like that to bring his message, he can use even you and me. Isn't that right? He can use any of us. So I'm just going to pray now. Let's all stand. I'm going to pray that God will um, come and soften our hearts, that he'll give us his heart for people. Um, in this town and in the villages around about. So let's just um, stand in his presence for a minute and let's remind ourselves of the great love of God for the people in our neighborhood, uh, for the young people in this school and in the other schools that we're going to be going to this week And dear Lord Jesus, we pray that you will give us, as your people, your heart. May we have your heart of love. Give us boldness and love which will overcome our fear and and the fear that we have of shame. Help us not to feel ashamed of you, Lord, or of the gospel. Give us courage. And we pray that you'll open doors this week. Um, into networks of people that perhaps we're not yet involved with. And our longing is that through, through the week, you'll bring many people to hear the gospel, that you'll bring some to believe in you, and that you'll bring many more to join the Alpha Course so that in the weeks and months ahead, we will hear of you working in many people. So come Holy Spirit... Come and renew us, renew our love. Forgive us where we're tired or apathetic. Forgive us for that. Fill us with joy. May the joy of the Lord be our strength. Fill us with compassion and sensitivity and kindness. Help us to be interested in people and so that we become interesting as people. Help our speech to be salty. And, Lord, we pray that you will work greatly this week, and not only this week, but in the weeks and months to come. And thank you that when you put your hand on someone, it's not just for a week or two, it's for eternity. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you will sow seeds that will bring forth eternal fruit to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.